Good morning. God is here, and uh, I'd like to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Let's spend a moment uh, for each of us, just God and you. Father, you are the God who sees, you are the God who hears, you are the God who stays. You know everything there is to know about me. You perceive every moment, every movement of my heart and soul. And you understand my every thought before it even enters my mind. You are so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book. And you know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a sentence. You know every step I will take before my journey even begins. You've gone into my future to prepare the way. And in kindness, you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. You have laid your hand on me. This is just too wonderful, deep and incomprehensible. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I run and hide from your face? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, you're there too. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into the radiant sunset, you're there waiting. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. It's impossible to disappear from you or to ask the darkness to hide me, for your presence is everywhere, bringing light into my night. There is no such thing as darkness with you. The night to you is as bright as the day. There's no difference between the two. You formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside and wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place. Carefully, skillfully, you shaped me from nothing into something. You saw, who, you saw who you created me to be before I became me, before I'd even seen the light of day. The number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. Every single moment you were thinking of me, how precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. 
O God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. When I awake each morning, you're still with me. God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious care. See if there is any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious, everlasting well, the path that brings me back to you. Father, each day, bring me back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. What an amazing scripture. Every day, bring me back to you. I think that that should be our prayer every day, all of us. Every day, bring me back to you. Well, uh, today is day 15 of 21 days of prayer, and uh, we, uh, we love doing uh, 21 days of prayer. We do it twice a year. We do it in uh, January and then again in September, and uh, we look forward to, uh, to our next 21 days of prayer. Uh, that'll be the last time that he does that on a Sunday until September, and I'm bummed about that. So, uh, but we must, must move on. Can't do it every week. It's got to be special, right? We want it to be special. So um, real quick, two things. First of all, before I get started, um, we are an unapologetically pro-life church. Um, and that may, may make some of you upset. That may um, cause a little bit of, whoa, I, don't, I didn't know that. Um, we believe that God is unapologetic, unapologetically pro-life. And um, because of that, we celebrate uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday. And um, we also say at the refuge, if that makes you feel uncomfortable, we also say at the refuge that you don't have to believe what we believe to belong. We understand that uh, there are people that, um, that disagree, and that's okay. We want to use God's word to love you and to show you why he is a pro-life God. And um, that's all I'll say about Sanctity of Life Sunday. Make sure you find Brooke if you want to give towards, uh, if you want to give towards Abba, uh, Abba House, and it's a phenomenal ministry that helps women uh, dis like discover that um, that life is sacred, and uh, it's it's incredible to partner with them. The other thing is a little bit more, uh, how do I say it? A um, little bit more boring, um, and that was I. When I say it like this, though, you're going to be like, that doesn't sound boring. I sent a, uh, I'm, I mistakenly sent an email to everyone this week that I shouldn't have. Um, it's not that juicy, though. It was just about your, uh, your giving. And so um, if you got, got an email about giving towards uh, DECA versus Planning Center and that sort of thing, um, and you're already giving in our DECA, then just ignore it. I sent it. I was only... I was only supposed to send it to like 15 people, and it went out to the entire people, like everyone that's ever given a dollar to the Refuge Church. So, uh, so that was fun, 
uh, we, but thank God we only got like three emails like, hey, what's this about? So uh, anyway, um, really, uh, really, really, really fun. So um, we are in a series that we're calling uh, Shameless Prayers, Shameless Prayers. And um, I, I've really enjoyed it. It's only week three of Shameless Prayers. And uh, week one, we talked about what's keeping me from praying, what keeps me from praying. And the thing that I said that keeps us from praying oftentimes is our shame. Our shame can keep us from praying. In the, and I'm going to go, I'm going to just do a real quick uh, review. If you missed any of these messages, you can go to refugemain.church slash messages and you can, uh, you can listen to any of those. Um, but then last week we talked about what prayer accomplishes what prayer accomplishes. Why do we even pray in the first place? And the, the big idea for last week was that prayer is change, that when I pray, my heart changes. When I pray, God changes my perspective. And I gave you uh, five W's to, to use to pray this week. Hopefully you use those to pray. Um, we, we start with worship. We move to God's will. We go on to our wants, and then we go to washing ourselves and asking him forgiveness, and we end up with war. Prayer is war. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that, that, um, that we're able to go to God and combat the enemy. That's what war is, is to combat an enemy. And so... Uh, we get to go to war when, when we get on our knees. And uh, I just thank God how, how easy he makes prayer. Next, so, so next week, we're going to talk about, um, about the most loving act that you can do for someone else. The most loving act that you can do for someone else. And then... The next series is going to be all about shameless relationships. I said last week that this has to be right. Vertical has to be right before we can get to the horizontal being right. When we get our vertical right, our relationship with God right first, then our relationship with everyone else comes, comes after that. It's an alignment. We got to get in alignment with God so that we can be right with other people. And so we, we start with shameless relationships, we or start with shameless prayers, we get rid of the shame in our prayer life so that we can get rid of the shame in our relationship life, right? And that doesn't just go for our r romantic relationships. We'll get into that um, in February. But um, shameless prayers lead to shameless relationships. I'm really excited about the direction from God's word that God seems to be taking our church. And uh, I want you to know that um, my favorite message, it's like, uh, I think Tom Brady said, or I don't know, I always think about sports, always think about sports. And um, so my favorite message is always the next one for me, right? So Tom Brady was always looking to the next game, things like, you know, it's on to next week, Bill Belichick, you know, on to Washington, on to, they're not on to anybody next week. Oh, 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 low, low blow. Uh, <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. So um, it's always on to the next one. And, and I just, I'm so excited about what God is doing in, 
in his word, in, our, in my heart. And if I'm excited about what God's doing in my heart, then because I'm privileged to be the leader of this church, I, I, uh, I'm excited about what he's doing here. So uh, let me ask you a question this morning. What do you think is the biggest mistake we make when we pray? What do you think is the biggest mistake we make, or maybe you make? What's the biggest mistake you make when you pray? I'll let you think about that for a moment. And um, before I answer that question, I want to read our theme verse, theme passage for this whole series. And then I want to look at um, another, like we've kind of looked at two theme passages for this series. And before we read those two, I, wanna, I just want to ask God to speak to us from his word before we get to that. Let's, let's do that. Father, um, your word is alive, it's active. It's quicker than any two-edged sword that pierces my soul and spirit. And Lord, I pray that this morning we would allow the word to pierce our soul and spirit. That we would understand that there's a difference between the two. That we would choose the spirit in our lives because that's what it means to be led by the spirit. That we would choose the spirit and not our flesh. Father, we know that the opposite of spirit is flesh. And oftentimes, we think of things based on how we feel, not based on what is right. And so, Lord, I pray today that we would focus on the Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Luke chapter 8, uh, chapter 11, sorry. Psych. Luke chapter 11, verse 8, in the New Living Translation. Read it with me on the screen. Also, um, if you want to follow along in the YouVersion Bible app, all of today's notes are available in the YouVersion Bible App. And if you're not on YouVersion Bible app, what are you doing? Like, just get on with it. Um, it is one of the best apps. That you, it's, it's the best app that you can have on your phone. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 8 says, But I tell you this, though he, he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up, give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. This is at the end of a story that Jesus is telling. He's telling it about a friend that goes to another friend's house at midnight because a friend is coming over and he's not prepared. He goes to his buddy's house and he's like, hey, man, I've got another friend coming to my house and I don't have anything for us to eat. Can I borrow something? Will you, will you, will you have my back? And the issue is he's going to him when? At midnight. I'm happy to report still. Week three, no one has come to my house at midnight yet. I'm waiting. But I'll be in bed. Just like the friend in this message, right? Just like the friend in this passage. He's saying to him, he's like, hey, and we talked about this in week one, that shame doesn't care what other people are doing or what other people think. He's like, I don't care that your family's asleep. I got I got to get some bread. Like at that point I'm throwing the bread out the window, right? Like get go away. Like But but Jesus says he's like he's not going to get up for the sake of the friendship. He's going to get up 
because you shamelessly pursued him. And that was the verse we just read. I believe Jesus is teaching us that God desires shameless prayers. He desires for us to go to the Father without shame. Without shame is a theme of the human existence. Because way back at the foundation, way back when the world began in Genesis chapter 3 verse 7, we read this verse 2. At that moment, their eyes were opened and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. Prior to this in verse in chapter 12, on uh, chapter 2, sorry, 2 comes before 3. Before this in chapter 2, the Bible says they were naked and they felt no shame. They weren't ashamed, but verse 7 of chapter 3, it says at that moment they suddenly felt shame because they disobeyed God and they had sinned and sin entered the world and shame entered the world. When sin entered the world, shame entered the world. It's a foundation to our feeling when we do wrong. When you mess up, it's natural for you to feel shame because of it. Natural for you to feel guilty. And we talked in week one about the inhibitory emotions of anxiety, shame, and guilt. And how those three emotions paralyze us. Shame will prevent you from growth. Especially when it comes to your walk with Jesus. Satan knows that if he can get you to feel shame... He will keep you from telling your friends about him. Satan knows if he can get you to feel shame, he'll keep you from reading this book and opening it and learning exactly what you need to know for the day. Satan knows if he can get you to feel shame, he can keep you from praying. Which is why I believe that Jesus is teaching us to pray shameless prayers. And that leads me back to our question. What is your biggest mistake you make when you pray? I bet you think I'm going to say shame, don't you? Leads me to today's big idea. My big idea, if I have one thing I want to communicate today, the one point of my message. The biggest mistake we make when we pray is we do not approach the Father like a child. The biggest mistake we make when we pray is we don't approach the Father like a child. We can learn a lot from kids, especially when it comes to our prayer life, especially when it comes to our walk with Jesus. But I think here's the problem. We like to make things complicated. Adults make everything complicated. Kids don't. And oftentimes, we would rather it be complicated than easy. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, which I've referenced like the last three weeks. I hope you're getting on to something. Like, it's a great book. Celebration of Christian Discipline, the, he says this, the more complicated we make prayer, the more dependent people are upon us to learn how to do it. Ouch. The reason we like to make things complicated 
is because we like people to depend on us. When we, when we see, when people depend on us, we think we're important. We see our value. In fact, when people depend on us, dare I say, we're not really ashamed of that. We actually feel a little proud of that. And we think that it becomes about us. Listen, it is never about us. It's never about me. It's never about, like, one of my biggest fears about being a communicator on this stage with this microphone is that all of a sudden you start coming to the Refuge Church and you're here for five, six weeks, however long, and you start to identify with the guy on the stage. You start to identify, dare I say, you start to identify with the Refuge Church. Your identity isn't in the Refuge Church. Your identity isn't in the preacher with a microphone. Your identity is in Jesus. And you know what I love about kids? They know where their identity's at. It's with mom and dad, my family. And that's why it's so important. Mom and dad, listen to me. That's why it's so important for you to have your identity right. Because when your kids come to you, looking to you, you have to point them to Jesus. That as, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, that's our, our role. We have to learn to point our kids to Jesus. But I think that deep down in the human spirit, we love it when people depend on us. We like to feel important. We, and, and, and because of that, we like to make things complicated. Oh, you'll never figure that out. <laughs> if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room. We like to make things complicated. Now, let me show you a scripture that absolutely wrecked me this week. If I'm honest with you, um, I thought that my big idea about the mistakes we make when we pray was going to be something about shame. I thought it was going to be about how we make, we offer up shame-based prayers and not shameless prayers. I thought that's what it was going to be. It sounded great. Then God showed me Matthew chapter 18. I'll tell you this and I'll say it again. God writes better sermons than I do. So I just stick to God's word. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and he asked, what's the question? Pay attention to the question that the disciples asked. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The disciples are going to Jesus. They're going, hey, who's the goat, right? Who's the greatest of all time? Is it Tom Brady? That's my second Patriots reference. I'm sorry. I'll move on. I'm telling you, it's all the time. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus called and the little the, called the little children to him, and he put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like children, and become like children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as Humble as, these little ch ch as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom 
of heaven. Kids are the greatest of all time in the kingdom of heaven. But so what was the question? The question was, who's the, gra- who's, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Can you imagine the look on the disciples' face when, when they say, hey, Jesus, who's the greatest, greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus goes, hey, kids, come here. Like, I just, I just, I, maybe I've been watching too much of The Chosen, but, like, I, I just picture, I picture the, the look on the, like, and, and the, the humor that Jesus has with this. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show them. Like, they think that it's, like, Moses or Abraham, and they're thinking, because they're thinking, like, like Hebrew kids would. And then he's like, hey, kids, come here. And... What a beautiful picture. And, and, and this isn't the only time that Jesus talked about kids. Mark chapter 10, different account, different story. On one day, verse 13 of Mark 10, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so that he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. I could stop and preach right there just for a moment about the importance of kids in church and, and everything else. I'm not going to. This is about prayer. Verse 14, when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are what? Like these children, I tell you the truth. Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and he blessed his hands and their heads and he, he blessed them. In both stories, Jesus uses the word like a child. Become like a child. Can I say, I think this is why the Bible says that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Because kids are the most humble people that I've, you, you've never met someone more humble than, than a little kid. I know about the time they get eight, nine, ten years old, then it starts to change a little bit. Little kids. This past week I told Tanya what my big idea was. And... Um, she told me, she's like, I saw a meme this week that said, I'm so over adulting today. I'm a child of God. So you can use that this week, next week, when, whenever you feel like it. Um, but let me just say, ch- children of God aren't necessarily immature. So I think that was, anyway, that's, I'll remove that joke from the, ne- from the next, ne- next service. Um, but think about, about children and they're not just kids. But think about their approach to their, their parents. Think about their approach to their, their, their dad, their father, specifically their father, because God is the heavenly father. And so we have to look at their approach. And oftentimes we see, I, I see three characteristics of the communication of children that I want to use for the rest of this message. Three characteristics of the communication of children. Number one is it's open. Number two is it's honest. And number three is they trust their father. 
open, brutally honest, and trusting. And real quick, can I just say, if you're a parent in this room, we have a, by the way, our, our kids ministry is growing and it, Aaron's doing such a great job with our kids teaching them about Jesus and showing them where their identity is. But as a parent, can I just say, if you have little kids, like little kids, you have a gift. You have a gift that you don't even realize because God is teaching us this morning that your relationship with your kids is what the relationship with the Father in heaven looks like. You have an everyday illustration. So when your kids come to you and they tug on your shirt or however they get your attention, don't get annoyed with it. Because <laughs> shameless persistence. Like, like what a like the the brilliance of Jesus' communication, like shameless persistence. And when we think of kids, you know what I see? I see shameless persistence. So first, number one, open communication. Open communication. What is open communication? Open communication is when people can openly express their thoughts and ideas with one another. Listen, that's, that's not from some Christian web website. That's, that's from a secular website about the definition of open communication. Open communication is when people can openly express their thoughts and ideas to one another. You can openly express your thoughts and your ideas to God. Open communication is done without shame. You can't have shame and still be open communicating. It's impossible. Can I make another observation? What about kids and their, their fathers? I think about me growing up, and I think about the, the time or the times in my life that I quit communicating openly with my parents. I quit going to my mom and dad. What were the causes? <laughs> Some of you ask yourself, what were the causes that you didn't go to your parents for, with communication? Well, usually it was because I was disobeying, I was disobedient, and because of my disobedience, I was, I was ashamed, and I didn't, I didn't go to my mom and dad because I didn't want to let them down. I, I didn't go to my mom and dad because I was hiding something. I didn't go to my parents because I didn't want to get caught in doing what I was doing. I didn't want to go to them with something on my breath that I shouldn't have had. I didn't want to go to my parents with shame. And it's the same thing with our approach to the Father in heaven that often keeps us from him. We don't go to him because of our disobedience to him. We don't go to him because of the shame of what we've done, of the, of, of the decisions we've made that we know that, that doesn't live up to him. But that's not how he teaches us. I've got a great, I'm going to end this message with just one of the most beautiful scriptures about prayer. And, and, and I, I think it's about, it can be applied to prayer. Something that Jesus says, we're not there yet though, so hold on to your seats. 
Do any of these sound familiar? Disobedience? Shame? Or I love the times in my life where I said to myself, oh, my dad will never do that. <laughs> my, my, dad will, my, my dad will never go for that. Like, he's not going to, no way. The answer is going to be no. And then I go to him, and, he's, and I'm like, really? We can do that? Mark chapter 11. Let me show this to you. Then Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I, I often think if I would have really believed that, that we could have gone to that game or to that, again, there I go with sports again, right? If, if I could really go to that, how many times would I have gone to my dad and said, Dad, can we do that? I would have asked a lot more if I knew the answer was yes. Verse 24, I tell you, you can pray for anything and you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone that you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forget your, your sins too. I'm picturing my brother and my sister as I read that last verse. If I'm gonna go to dad and ask him for something, I better be getting along with my brother or sister, with Billy or Christy. And if Billy and I were fighting, because we always were fighting, I couldn't go to my dad about something, because guess what, he's gonna say, you know what, get things right with your brother before you come to me, and, we'll, we'll, and then we'll talk about it. Again, I said this last week, and I'll say it again. God is not a genie in a bottle that we just have to rub the bottle by asking it in Jesus' name. That's not how he works. We have to align ourselves with him and with his word. And when we align ourselves with him and with his word, then we can ask anything in Jesus' name, and it will be given to us. Will is all about alignment. But what I absolutely love about God's word and the illustration of a child and their open communication, I love that open communication of a child includes their imagination. Talk to a little three, four, five-year-old. And just see the imagination, the things that they want to do. Ask them what they want to be when they grow up. A three or four-year-old, like, can you imagine? I believe that God, when we come to him with prayer, in, in, invites us to use our imagination. We can go to God And we can say to him, God, I picture a church in Maine that will show people that when they make Jesus their refuge, they never have to be overwhelmed or overtaken by the storms of their life. And I can see you raising up a church in New England that is centered on their identity in Jesus. And I can see that church making an impact, not just in Maine, but in all of New England, leading into all the United States, impacting the world for Jesus Christ. And you can go to him with the imagination 
And he says, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, the Apostle Paul writes and he says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power to work within us to accomplish anything more than we might ask or think. Other translations use the words ask, think, or imagine. God is able to do more than I ask, more than I can ever dream up. Why wouldn't I go to him openly? Open communication. Number two, honest communication. Kids go to their father with honest communication. Do yourself a favor this week. Go to YouTube and type in brutally honest kids. It's hilarious. Hilarious. I almost played a video at this point, but... I was like, at one point, I was looking at videos, and I go, there's a fine line between open, or I'm sorry, there's a fine line between brutally honest kids and bratty kids. That'll preach. (laughs) We don't go to God brutally honest like brats to get what we want. We go to God like he is able to infinitely do more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine, and we're honest with him. Honesty removes shame, but you can't be honest and be shameful at the same time. It doesn't work. Honest communication is shameless communication. Number three, trusting communication. You can trust the Father with your open and honest communication. Just like a kid trusts his dad. God is trustworthy. Can I say something really harsh right here? Unfortunately, our world has fathers that are untrustworthy. And unfortunately, kids go to their dads and they, they get let down because their dad's not trustworthy. Listen, if you're here and your dad was untrustworthy, first and foremost, I am so sorry. But second, I want you to understand that there is a heavenly father that is trustworthy. There is a God that loves you, that shows us, that, tr- that, that he's willing, that he's able to be trusted. In fact, he is the most trustworthy. That verse I was telling you about, John chapter 14, verse 1. I love this verse. Jesus is speaking. John 14, 1 says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. And trust also in me. We can go to God with trust Trusting communication. We can trust him because he is trustworthy. But if I'm honest with you, there are often times that I go to the Father and I'm pretty troubled. I have a troubled heart. The things that some of you guys deal with, that you bring to me, I... 
I invite you to come to me and to share with me your burdens because that's what the Bible teaches us, to bear one another's burdens, to carry it with you. That's why I'm here. That's part of the calling. It's part of the privilege. But can I just be honest? A lot of the stuff, a lot of the ish that people deal with, a lot of the things that we deal with, it's heavy. It's troubling. But Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. So here's what happens. I can go to the Father with a troubled heart. And you know what he does? As I pray and as I seek him, you know what he does? He lifts that trouble right off of me. Because prayer is what? Prayer is what? Prayer is change. That was last week. Sorry, I threw you a curveball. It's all good. You still passed the class. It's all good. Prayer is change. So I can go to the Father with a troubled heart, and he changes that troubled heart. He lifts it off of me. But the issue is when I am praying and I go to God with a troubled heart and I get up from praying and, and coming off from my prayer with God with a troubled heart. That's the issue. Because when I go to God with a troubled heart and, he, and I leave with a troubled heart, I haven't trust, I, that's not trusting communication. That's not like a child. That's not how children communicate. When they go to the, the father and they ask them to take care of their boo-boo, guess what? They expect the father to take care of the boo-boo. Let's be honest, they're all going to mom anyway. Come on, you know that's funny. Because it's true. We can go to the heavenly father that is trustworthy with our troubled heart because prayer is change. It's change. When it comes to our relationship with our heavenly father, we never outgrow the my dad is better than your dad phase. I miss that phase. Let's be honest, I miss my kids having that face. But we all did it. My dad, on the, on the playground, I'm going way back. My dad's better than your dad. Oh yeah, well my dad has a Dooley F-150. I don't even speak cars. My dad has, my heavenly father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. My heavenly father is trustworthy. My heavenly father takes care of my shame and my sin. And I can come up from talking to him and he thinks nothing less of me when I went to him. Some of you, the reason why you don't go to God open and 
and honest and trustworthy is because you think that God's going to look at you differently when you're done talking to him. That's not the Bible. That's not what the Bible teaches us. What it does teaches us is that you've been bought with a price. The price of the one and only son that died on the cross to take on the sin and the shame that keep you from going to the Father. And he provides the way for you to go to the Father. Meaning that when God looks at you, he sees your identity in Jesus and he loves you. And he receives you. And he accepts you. But it's all contingent on that relationship with Jesus. So that's what we're here for. That's, another, that's one of the reasons why we're here for. We're here to remind you of your identity, but we're also here to help you receive your identity. So if you do me a favor, would you stand to your feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to help people find their identity in Jesus this morning. So, so the most important thing is that your identity is in Jesus. I've got my friend Dave that's going to come up on, on the right side. He was up here praying earlier. He wants to pray with you. If there's any burden that you've come with, my friend Brooks on my left, if, if there's a burden that you've come with, go to the Father. But sometimes... I, I love this illustration. When I was a kid, I'd be like, hey, Billy, or my little brother, hey, Billy, let's go to dad and let's ask him together if we could do this. Then guess what? We got our dad right where we want him. Because it's not just me that wants it, it's me and Billy. Whatever you're carrying, you're not meant to do it alone. You've got brothers and sisters in the room that want to go to the Father with you to help you. That's why Dave is here. Brooke is here. But you've never received Jesus. Would you do me a favor? If you've never received Jesus and you, and you want to do that this morning, I'm not even going to ask for a sacred moment. I'm not even going to ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. Would you just say, Pastor Adam, that's, that's me. I need this relationship with Jesus. You can close your eyes and bow your heads if you want to. You don't have to. You can imagine that everyone's closing their eyes and bowing their heads so you can raise your hand, whatever it takes to have the bravery to, to do it. But if you need Jesus, let me, let me invite you to say this prayer with me. And if you want to let us know, you can come and find me in the lobby. You can fill it out on the card. Just say, God, I know I need you. I need a relationship with you. I want that. By the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and I come to a relationship with you. 
give me a new identity in Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Hey, listen, we're going to sing one more song, and then we're going to be dismissed. I love you so much. Come find me in the foyer. I'd love to talk to you, and uh, have the best day of your life.